You are listening to Shadow of the Wing, and I am Antonia Chain. This show is a serialized telling of the novel Shadow of the Wing by Antonia Chain. To find out more, visit antoniachain.com. Listeners are advised that some content is only suitable for a mature audience. music was already blaring out, but the dance floor was as yet empty. It reminded Jess of a school disco. Male patients hovered along one side of the room while female patients hung near the other. Staff would not allow anyone near the buffet table until all the patients were back from the fire and handed their many layers of jumpers and sweatshirts over to Katie May, who had very helpfully offered to take care of the coat table, where she could be heard efficiently wheeling everyone who came in. Coats, please. She folded each carefully and placed the various items on tables in front of her and to the side. She piled them in towards Freezer retrieval at the end of the evening. She could soon barely be seen behind the piles. Staff, in the meantime, peeled the tin foil and cling film away from the plates of sandwiches, mini pizzas, pork pies and chicken dippers. The classic buffet, but entirely finger food to avoid the use of cutlery. Knives and forks were too risky in this kind of gathering. Janet, one of the nurses, yelled over the music, Come and get it! And en masse, patients swamped around the buffet table like flocks of gulls. Within a very short space of time, only a few wilted lettuce leaves and the remnants of a curled up sandwich were left on the paper platters. As people ate, they milled, and the earlier strict delineation between the gendered groups began to melt. Groups large and small began to spread around the space. Kev Nash was good, Jess had to admit. The music was loud and the glitter ball was shooting white light flashes around the entire room, catching the orange tinsel attached to the painted flames stuck around the edges of the room. The room looked fabulous and the decorations disguised enough of the institutional feel of the gym. Even though alcohol dry, the atmosphere was heady. Time to simply play and have fun was a rare commodity at Hilgram, and the patients enjoyed it to the max. Jess did notice that some of the patients were more than simply heady, and she guessed that it was likely to do with contraband. But as it wasn't directly her concern, she left that to the nursing staff to worry about. She and Angie took it upon themselves to get the patients with learning disabilities up dancing. They were the least confident in big gatherings, but arguably most in need of some fun in their life. Life on the world was often grim, but here reggae was good, and Kev knew it was a good bet. It was difficult to account for every taste, and at weddings anyway, reggae always got people upon the floor. He found it was the same at Hilgram. The dance floor was soon packed and if truth be told, his estimation of some of his colleagues had gone up a notch. 
They were brilliant at engaging patients. What neither he nor Jess had noticed was the steady stream of the younger women being taken out of the gym room and down the stairs. The casual observer might have thought there were cigarette breaks. In reality, a group of the male nursing staff had sex with them or filmed other patients having sex with them on tiny cameras they'd managed to get through security. All of this activity was overseen by Carl, who distributed the tiny number of drugs to the women when they were back in the disco. The male patients needed little incentive to participate. Carl discreetly handed two diazepam over to a patient, but discretion was to prevent non-participating colleagues noticing. Patients, particularly the women, were well aware of what was going on. Terry walked over to him. I'll have some of them. The other patients, drugs grasped in sticky palms, walked quickly away, avoiding Terry's gaze. A look of anxiety flitted across Carl's face as he scanned the immediate horizon. Fuck off, what are you on about? he asked hesitantly. Terry replied, I just want to get off my head. I'm sick of this fucking place, so just give me some of the drugs. I know the score, whatever, who cares? Just give me something and there'll be no bother. Through the bobbing crowd, Jess did notice Terry talking to Carl and thought it unusual, to say the least, something was up. The meeting was over as quickly as it had begun, with Carl clearly dismissing Terry. Wearily, Jess imagined that Terry had taken yet another opportunity to insult Carl. Jess had decided that tonight she couldn't be bothered with it. She couldn't care about Terry and her constant undermining of Carl, or Carl and his bullying of the patients. She wasn't the only member of staff there. John or one of the others, if need be, could sort it. She would just leave them to get on with it. She was going to focus her attention on the patients, who rarely got any positive attention, and Angie, whose work rarely took her into the patient realms, was helping her do just that. They were having a great time. Only later did Jess wish that maybe she'd taken more notice of what Terry was up to. Although Carl had dismissed her, he was intrigued by Terry. He hated the trouble-causing haughty bitch, despised her. But she wanted something from him now. He could see a moment opening up and he intended to exploit it. Oh yes, things were going to change. And for the better, he thought. He found himself whistling along to the modern take on a very old classic scar tune. This indeed was proving to be a very good night. Katie May was clearing the table. Bloody gannets, such a mess they'd left. She dragged the large plastic dustbin over to the table. The staff saw her and said she didn't need to be doing the cleaning up, but no one stopped her. It was what Katie May did. And she'd been no bother at all during the fireworks, apart from the incident with the film crew, but that hadn't been her fault. Let her get on with it because it's what makes her happy. For once though, Katie May was not especially interested in clearing up. She was interested in the treasure she'd seen on the table. A small piece of litter no one would think twice about. Watching it closely, her heart racing, she scraped the leftovers directly into the bin and stacked the paper platters in a pile. 
When they two were all gathered together, she whipped the treasure into her pocket breathlessly. Then she threw the stack of paper plates, along with the paper tablecloths, into the bin and dragged the whole thing out of the way and behind the table piled with sweatshirts and jumpers. The whole clean-up took less than five minutes. She's so good, thought the nurses. They could always rely on Katie May. Okay then, let's go there. What exactly are you after? Carl carefully but subtly scanned the horizon watching through the dark and the glitter ball myriad spots of light splashing around the room. He wondered if he was being set up and he was not going to let this bitch take him down. She started to respond but he grabbed Terry's damaged hand roughly and squeezed it till it hurt and dragged her onto the dance floor. Less obvious, he said, though he was wrong. Jess saw them dancing together and knew that something was not right about what she was seeing. It wasn't just that it looked like the least pleasurable dance any couple could ever have, or the venom sparking between them as they swayed without comment or reference to the beat of the music. They were clearly having a heated exchange, not unusual for them, but why on the dance floor? That was just plain odd. That can be done, said Carl, smiling severely. But it'll be me you're dealing with, not one of the lads, and don't think you can dick me about, or I'll tell you, girl, I'll fuck you over good and proper. Your life in here will be a nightmare, understood? It was exactly what Terry had expected him to say, but she looked dutifully horrified. Carl's lechery was intensified by her apparent mortification. He was already aroused. Come with me. Carl led Terry out of the gym room and down the stairs to the gym. The party was in full flow. The disco boomed out from the four-foot-high speakers. Bass vibrations throbbed through the oak floor and lights twinkled and sparkled around the laughing, dancing crowd, who for a short time felt free. Jess saw them leave through the locked door and down the stairwell. The room was not a fire exit and did not lead outside, a point Jess vaguely noted but did not fully comprehend. Terry's contempt for Carl Langley, always extreme, reached new heights when she saw the cleared area in front of the mirrored wall. To the left of the doorway, the fixed multi-gym machines looked like old instruments of torture. Directly in front were rows of running machines and exercise bikes, faded motivational posters urging runners to keep going for their goal adorned the walls. To the right and in front of the mirrored wall, the tiered rows of free weights and the benches so beloved of the muscle men in the hospital. The floors in front of the mirrored wall were layered with green rubber exercise mats. A box of condoms lay open on the floor, a toilet roll and furling next to it. Terry saw the handwritten A4 sheet stuck at knee height on the mirror. It said, take used condoms away with you. Breathing heavily, Carl pushed Terry towards the mats. You know what to do. Treats later. First of all, though. 
Carl spun around and punched Terry hard directly into a stomach where it would leave no bruise. Terry doubled, gasping and retching, falling to the floor in a pained fetal curl, feeling through the bones, the vibration from the boom of the music above. Carl grabbed the waistband of her jeans and dragged her, still curled and retching to the mats, unbuckling his own belt with his free hand. It was a delicate task, and it was important to do it properly, but she was just so excited she could hardly stop trembling. Katie May pulled the tinfoil she'd salvaged from the sandwiches out of the hiding place in a t-shirt where she'd stuffed it when, as quickly as a shoplifter, she'd taken it from the table. It was the basic thin stuff and she thanked her lucky stars that the kitchen was so cheap. She folded the paper into half and half again and then tore it into the thinnest, itty-bitty little strip she could. It was delicate work. The music pounded, muffled, just a little bit by the pile of clothing that surrounded her. She cleared a small space between the lovely woolen jumpers, the scarves and the hats that were perfect. She had no time for horrible synthetics. She emptied her pockets of the threads, bobbles and fluff that she'd been pulling off the various items of clothing ever since she became cloakroom attendant, as she liked to think of herself. She was really pleased with the stash. In less than an hour, she had more than enough. She was so pleased it hadn't rained this evening, it would have so spoiled her night. She pulled the 5-volt battery out of her pocket. She had disposed of the torch in a bush in the grounds while the fireworks were in full flight no one had noticed. She held the torch battery in the palm of her hand. It was warm from where it had nestled in her skirt pocket. It was more precious to Katie May at that point than anything else could ever be. She raised it to her mouth and felt the tingle of a slight, delicious shock as her wet tongue touched the positive and negative terminals. It was new. Behind the discarded sweatshirts, Katie May piled the woolen fibres and the shredded tinfoil in a little heap. Very gently and carefully, she arranged two delicate strands of the tinfoil so they touched each of the battery terminals. The thin tinfoil started to glow with static and spit little sparks into the shredded fibres, the perfect fire tinder. Katie made gently blew the glowing pile as the first tiny flame flickered. Enraptured, she moved one of the really smelly jumpers belonging to Dawn near to the fire. Everyone would be glad to see the back of that, she thought. It wasn't the first time Terry had thought that men were stupid, but it made it almost too easy for her. It was true that he watched her like Hawk, didn't trust her as far as he could spit. But an erection caused a flawed attention span, and the second she had an opportunity, she took it. He had forced her onto her hands and knees where, he said, he could keep his eye on her. She didn't care that he'd penetrated her because as soon as he had, she knew exactly where he was. She reared up as if suddenly and startlingly unsprung. The back of her head slammed into his face. His nose cracked as loudly as a gunshot as blood gushed over them both. He screamed in pain. His hands flew to his crushed face. Terry scrabbled away, unsheathing herself from him. 
She grabbed one of the hand weights and whilst Carl was still screaming, unheard over the noise of the disco, used her full body weight to swing the weight in an arc and into the side of Carl's head. He instantly stopped screaming and slunk, his cock limp and pathetic, to the floor. Some of the patients wished it had been a bubble machine rather than a smoke machine, but most loved it. It was like a real disco. When one of the staff thanked him for bringing it, Kev Nash was confused. He hadn't brought a smoke machine. Jess was still dancing alongside Angie, and some of the patients who clapped also mistook it for a smoke machine. But it was only moments before the smell and charcoal taste alerted her, and whoever sounded the fire alarm also spotted the danger. Lungs were swamped, people became disorientated, all hell broke loose. Materials give off a thick and pungent smoke, especially the synthetic material clothes most disliked by Katie May. The room was quickly engulfed in a dark, thick smoke as the light still coming off the glitter ball disappeared into a black, grey mist. As the flames licked higher, catching light to the decorations around the walls, patients and staff alike ran in a crush to the locked doors. Several patients screamed, some transfixed by the flame, some terrified by the noise and the chaos. Jess and Angie, alongside staff, shepherded patients to the fire exit doors leading to the main hospital or outside. Just open the bloody doors, woman, she screamed to one of the nurses who seemed uncertain what to do. They aren't supervised, I can't, I'm not supposed to. Jess threw her away from the door and locked it, smoke now choking them all, the heat searing skin, hair crackling and shivering. Go, 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 she yelled, pushing the terrified patients through the door. Angie was shepherding the patients. They had, moments earlier, been encouraging to dance out of the hall. She looked terrified. Jess gave her an encouraging nod as she went back into the hall. She heard a scream and saw Kev Nash trapped behind his desk, being consumed by the flames. He was fighting to strip off the shirt that was melting into his skin. He slid to the floor, jerking and writhing in agony. He became hidden from view by the decks, and his screaming stilled. Patients and staff were running and clambering to the doors, pushing older and less able patients to the floor. Dorothy lay gasping for breath. Jess crawled over to her, coughing and choking on the by now barely penetrable smoke. Jess tried to drag her to the door, but she was a big woman. Come on, Dorothy, use your feet, push! Dorothy stopped moving became a leaden weight, and Jess realised she could do no more. The gym, the gym, there were people in the gym. Jess staggered, hand over mouth, choking in the heat towards the locked door that led to the gym. Katie May leant against the wall behind her smouldering, burning cloakroom table, feeling the heat at last. Her knees were tucked under her chin, resting her head, and she watched the lovely, lovely flames. When the fire eventually engulfed her, she was as happy as she'd ever been. When Carl came to, he immediately noticed three things. Intense, unimaginable pain in his entire body, emanating from his pulsing, throbbing hands and feet. The cacophonous noise of an alarm ringing loud and shrill, and 
that he could not move. He struggled to understand where he was and what was happening. He could feel cold on his buttocks and pressure in his throat. The pain in his hands intensified as his mind unfogged. As the confusion lifted from his brain, the more he realised his neck and ankles were pinned to the floor by weight bars. He was naked from the waist down. Don't even try to move, you bastard, or I'll mash you up even more. While Carl was unconscious, Terry had smashed a six-pound free weight into both of his hands and his feet again and again, crushing and mangling them beyond repair. Unpin me now, you fucking bitch. Carl attempted to be menacing, but in the main it sounded like pleading. You are in so much fucking trouble you have no fucking idea. Fucking let me up now! His voice was shrill and sobbing between words. He tried to lift the bar from his neck, which was pressing hard on his Adam's apple, making his words sound even more strangled. His mangled hands were useless. The throbbing as he tried to use them made him scream again. You shouldn't have done it. You couldn't help yourself, could you, you savage bastard? I don't give a flying fuck about your business, but keeping me in here, well, congratulations, I'm insane. Aren't you pleased to be proven right, Carl? Haven't you got what you wanted? Carl didn't understand why the alarm was sounding, but no one was coming. Someone clearly knew what was going on. Please, God, let them be here soon. What the fuck are you talking about, you mad witch? What are you on about? Let me up. Please, we can sort this out. Terry kicked his foot and the pain zoomed up around his body and felt like an ice pick directly into his brain. White light filled his vision and he momentarily lost consciousness again. When Carl came to, he saw the first wisps of smoke snaking out of the light fittings above. Some part of his brain registered the sooty taste on his tongue and the smell in his nostrils, and he knew this meant fire. He knew then that no one was going to come. Terry was wild-eyed and raging, pacing the gym in bare feet, clothing back on but dishevelled. You should have let me out. You got what you deserved. Was your little arrangement worth this, Carl, was it? Was having sex with me so bloody important that it was worth losing your hand, you stupid little dick-brained bastard? You shouldn't have kept me in here. Now, neither of us will be going back, and that's funny, eh? There won't be a job on the ward for you, with your hands in that state. And they'll send me back to the wards. Carl could now clearly see a thick, dark cloud haze gathering at ceiling height and beginning to seep through the closed, locked doors that just a short time ago he dragged Terry through. He could hear the blaze through the still, shrill alarm and knew they had very little time. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's got nothing to do with me. I, I, I tried to get you shipped off loads of times. I did believe me. Look, you've got to believe me. I can get sex off anyone in here and you aren't that special love. You're a fucking nightmare on the ward. Nothing but trouble. I'd have been glad to get rid of you. Look, look. Get us out of here for fuck's sake, please. Terry was confused. Carl Langley was a lying sack of shit, but he was also terrified and he didn't have the balls to lie. He had kept her in the unit. She knew he had. He always said he was never going to let her out. Well, 
not until she'd done him some favours, and that she was never of going to do. He'd said that was the deal. He'd said he'd kept her there. She didn't understand. Parts of the ceiling began to drip down like melted toffee, breaking off and crashing to the floor, filling the air with dust and debris. Flames were now visible in the ceiling rafters as the oak floor above burned out of control. The gym rapidly filled with black, impenetrable smoke. Terry's reflection was ghostly in the mirrored wall through the haze. Cinder smites fell down on Carl's naked legs and melted the nylon of his shirt. Despite the pain in his hands and feet, he struggled to free himself, groaning in pain, crying in terror. The building's on fire, for fuck's sake, let me up, Carl screamed, but Terry was no longer interested in him. She didn't understand, she was confused. She had begged and pleaded to go to a ward. She knew she stood more chance of being moved to a semi-secure unit from a ward, but not from the PTU. Patients moved from the PTU towards, but never, ever went directly to places outside the hospital. Carl had told her he would make sure she never got out. He had also said he would put in a good word if she did him the odd favour. That was what he said. This was his fault. Oh my God, please, please let me get up, please. Carl was sobbing and crying. His shirt was smouldering and he was no longer sure he could see Terry through the smoke. Don't leave me, please, for God's sake, for fuck's sake, don't leave me, help me. Terry heard rather than saw the door open. Choking black smoke filled the gym through the open door. A black soot-covered Jess stood holding a scarf over her face, the dry heat burning her eyes. She fell to her knees to find oxygen. H who's there? Who's in here? Jess heard the strangled screams of Carl Langley, though she could not see him. The ceiling was giving way. Great swathes of plasterboard crashing down, throwing bombs of heated dust into the already dense atmosphere. Terrified, Jess crawled towards where she thought the voice had been and stumbled across Carl's prone and pinned body. She didn't understand what she was seeing. For fuck's sake, get me out of here, quickly, quickly, get me out of here before the fucking ceiling gives out, get me out, hell, hurry. Jess tried to lift the end of the weight bar from Carl's neck, but it was too heavy. His eyes looked feral and terrified, and he began grabbing onto Jess in desperation. Jess kicked back against him, realising that like a drowning man, he might take away her ability to escape. As she slid across the floor, among the burning oak embers and superheated plasterboard, she tumbled over Terry, barely conscious. Nose and mouth soot-stained, white, blonde hair, dirty and dark. Terry opened her eyes and looked directly into Jessie's. She did not say a word. The ceiling was going to come down. The timber joists were fully aflame. The wreckage of a metal table had come crashing down into the exercise bikes, narrowly missing the three of them. Jess had to get them out of there. She grabbed Terry and began pulling her to the door. Carl's shrill, screaming voice was swallowed by the smoke and the flames. Please don't leave me, please, please. Timber beams attached to the chain fluorescent light fittings crashed, ablaze, hitting the mirror on the way down. 
The mirror crashed into a million pieces into the mats where Carl had laid. Carl's voice was swallowed by the darkness. Jessie's strength was giving out. She could not see. She could not breathe. And Terry was so, so heavy. The noise was distant and she was no longer afraid, but she was so sleepy and just needed a little rest. She dragged Terry to the door, but once there she was spent, she had nothing left. She could not get them any further. In a last desperate effort, she reached for the key pouch, found her whistle, and blew as hard as she ever could, over and over again, until the dust enveloped them both. You saved me, said Terry. You saved me, and not him. You like me, Jess. You just like me. If you enjoyed the show and would like to read more stories by Antonia Chain, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, and at her website, antoniachain.com. Thanks for listening.